want to talk about right now is there is a news story. Did you hear about it? It was about Happy the Elephant out in the Bronx Zoo. Um, He lost his case when a New York appellate court denied him the right to personhood. And he was denied his release from the Bronx Zoo. Um, This coming week is Animal Rights Awareness Week. And while we love our pets, the question is, how far do we go to give our pets legal rights and what rights should they truly have? And joining us uh, in studio this afternoon to discuss the topic is Anna Morrison Ricordati, who is Chicago's foremost animal rights attorney. She is the founder of AMR Legal Group, which has successfully represented animal owners seeking justice through the civil court system. She's a fabulous litigator and she's a tireless advocate and has, uh, her advocacy has resulted in groundbreaking laws and changes in the state laws. Uh, Welcome to the show, Anna. So good to see you here. Thanks so much, Karen, and thank you for the kind introduction. <laughs> so, you know, I just said, this is full disclosure. If anyone knows uh, me, I'm married to a Ricordati, and Anna Ricordati, it's a very unusual name, but we decided, like, I think it's Anna's husband's father is Jerry's first cousin. So does that make us in-law cousins twice removed? I don't know, but whatever it is, we'll figure it out at some point. There is some relationship here. Anyway, so before we get to the elephant in the room, so to speak, uh, let's talk about animal rights. 76 million Americans own dogs, 58 million own cats. Tell us, Anna, how does um, the law in, in Illinois and in the nation view the rights of animals, property versus personhood or somewhere in between? Well, I think I'll start out with all 50 states consider animals to be property, which is a bit sad for those of us who are guardians for companion animals and those of us who seek protections or better protections. But really, anybody who's ever been around an animal, a non-human animal, for any more than 30 seconds, you know that they're very different than tables, toasters, or chairs. So the classification as property doesn't really fit for animals, especially those animals that have sentience, you know, that, that have thoughts and feelings and desires above what we as humans might attribute to them. So... Really, there, there needs to be an in-between ground. And in Illinois, we do have a lot of protections. Um, we've traditionally ranked among the top states for animal protections. I think this uh, for almost like 14 years, we were number one. I think we, we slipped a little bit because we didn't get a, a legal guardianship bill. But, uh, but otherwise, you know, this is a really good state to be in, you know, as an animal, a non-human animal for protections. Yeah, I was surprised. I did see that Illinois was right up there because unfortunately, Illinois is not right up there when it comes to much of anything these days. But for animal rights, yeah, that, that's good. So, I mean, I, I know that you've given the example of if you kick a chair... Uh, you don't go to jail or you didn't violate a law necessarily. But if you kick an animal, you do. So we should be treating maybe animals differently when it comes to property versus personhood. But let's let's talk a little bit about the criminal laws regarding cruelty to animals. Um, what do the laws basically say? And I, without getting into all the details, because I'm sure. sure there's tons of different, different um, variations and gradations of cruelty. Um, and, and I want you to talk a little bit about how prosecutors view those laws, because of course, they can select the cases that they bring against the perpetrators. And how do the prosecutors view those laws? Sure. And that, and that varies throughout the state. And I will say, you know, Chicago, some of the more urban areas are, I think, are more aware of the laws. So uh, in Illinois, we have what's called the Humane Care for Animals Act, which, you know, uh, puts animal cruelty, animal torture as at the forefront of things to prevent, you know, to stop. And, you know, we can talk about the reasons why it's not always 
really just for the protection of the animals, but for all people. But there, you know, those come with felonies. You know, the felonies, you can go to prison. You can serve time for that. Usually it's the second offense. But, but it is important. In Illinois, um, if you violate those laws, if, if you violate those laws for an animal that is owned, you can also be sued by the person who owns that animal for enhanced penalties. So Illinois is somewhat different than some of the other, you know, states. Um, we were, we were talking before the show, uh, and then we're going to take a break, <clears throat> about the importance of kind of recognizing who the perpetrators are when it comes to animal cruelty. Because if you're like me, I'm an animal lover. I have cats. I know you have animals. You know, the idea of harming an animal just is so, it, it just doesn't make any sense, and, and, it's, and it's something that you wouldn't do. But we were talking about the importance of identifying the people. Let's, can right. we talk about that a little bit? Right. It's, it's a red flag for sure. So if somebody, you know, like when you say, you know, I, I could... Um, I could break this table, and you might be mad at me, but I'm not going to jail for it, you know. Uh, but if I do, if I take my dog out and shoot my dog, yeah, I, I am going to go <laughs> to jail, probably prison, you know, for or an act of cruelty or torture. But when you when you look at the people who do that, even if you don't really care about animals, it's important because there is that link, you know. The the I think the FBI talks about it is the link between animal abuse to humans. So a lot of times you see domestic abusers. Um, they start with the animals. They often use the animals as emotional weapons against the people they're trying to control. Um, but those, I think there's a, like studies that have been done that, that show um, the serial killers, people who, uh, you know, maybe, have, you know, really bad people you've seen. They all, yeah. often always start with animals. So it, it's not necessarily predictive. So it doesn't mean that every person who starts abusing animals will turn out to be a serial killer. But when you trace it back, it is correlative that when people have done bad things to animals, those who are powerless, who can't do anything to stop them, they are emboldened to do worse things to others, usually you know, people in their families and then sometimes you know, people beyond that. We're talking to Anna Morrison Ricordati, uh, who's an animal rights attorney. If you have any questions for us here, uh, feel free to give us a call, 312-981-7200. We'll be back in a minute on WGN. We're here with Anna Ricordati. Uh, she is an animal rights attorney here in Chicago. She's the best in the West here, and she is breaking it down for us to talk about uh, animal rights and what the laws are. And, you know, Anna, I was thinking that, you know, our laws sort of reflect on who we are as people. And, you know, one of the things that I see in the law a little bit that's unfair is if your animal is killed or or injured civilly, meaning it wasn't intentional, there's not a whole lot of damages, meaning there's not a lot you can do to go to court and seek a recompense. Can you talk a little bit about how that differs from when an animal is intentionally injured? Definitely. And this is kind of ties into what we were talking to earlier about the prosecutors. And sometimes a prosecutor won't bring a case maybe because they're not aware of the laws or they don't know how to apply them. But in Illinois, it's different. If your animal was intentionally injured, you can bring a civil action under that Humane Care for Animals Act. And that happened recently in a case we had uh, involving a woman who, who met a man on Bumble. And they dated for, you know, a number of months. And he killed, and in that relationship, he killed her two dogs. And even though the prosecutor didn't bring any charges, although she definitely tried, she asked, please, you know, please take some action. You know, she was left with the civil remedy, and so she did bring the action and ended up, you know, asking for those damages under the Humane Care for Animals Act and also for intentional, um, the emotional distress, and ended up with a judgment of $160,000. Compare that, though, to the negligence-based cases, or those cases where you didn't mean to do something wrong, like somebody accidentally ran over your dog, but it was still their fault. 
there, the courts, you know, have not recognized, or at least not fully recognized, the emotional distress that that people do feel, and it's very real. It's not something made up. Well, you know, and and if you think about it, if you if the if a dog is property, which which it is. You, the damage is the cost of the dog or replacement value, right? Or something, you know, so if a dog is a $400 dog, if a dog is a, a shelter dog, what is a dog worth? I mean, not that much. But when you add in and you give the jury the opportunity to hear what emotional distress you went through, and we all know that all you dog and cat owners out there, you know how much you're attached. And if something were to happen and how angry you would be and upset, that it does seem like a justified element of what you should be able to ask for in a, in a case. Right. And, and in a way, Illinois, it is a, it's sort of on the leading edge of these cases because Illinois does recognize, at least in the first and fourth districts, that actual value to owner, to the animal's owner. So instead of just giving you, okay, well, here's, here's $50. You adopted that dog or cat from the shelter. Here, go get another one. What they recognize is that, obviously, the animal that was, was harmed is more valuable to you than the person who harmed the animal. And even though they're not going to give you that entire amount of, of emotional damages, there is a case out there that you know allows us to look at the sentiment and the emotion and sometimes get something akin to loss of companionship. So while they don't give you the grief and the loss that you truly do feel and should be part of it, you do get something more. So when we look at cases like, you know, we've had cases where animals were run over um, and that animal maybe was, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars to buy a replacement animal. But, you know, we would get maybe in the tens of thousands or 20,000, something like that. So they do recognize, at least in Illinois, and the cases, at least in at least the parts of Illinois, <laughs> that that say you can get something more. But I agree, it should be a real reflection of what these animals are are in our lives, because they're our family now. Absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit, just briefly, we've got so much to touch on um, uh, in light of Animal uh, Rights Awareness Week this week, um, is the issue of divorce. So parties are divorcing, and maybe they have two dogs, three dogs, one dog, whatever. Um, the law has changed re- fairly recently as to how judges can consider how to split up the dogs. Can you tell our listeners briefly how that goes and how that reflects on maybe uh, how we're ch- th- thinking differently of animals? Right. And, and I think here, th- that happened back in 2018. We were the second state. Alaska, believe it or not, was the first. Huh. Um, and we, uh, the, the courts now allow, or it was actually legislation, but the courts look at the, well, the well-being. So they'll look at if that animal is going to be better placed, you know, with the, the divorcing, one divorcing spouse over the other. And, you know, in that there's a whole mix. It's still kind of being worked out. You know, I don't practice a whole lot in family law, but I've, I've heard some stories. And as, as much as I'd really like to think that that was something geared toward making it better for the animals, I think a part of that was also the fact that the divorcing spouses, one may use one's bond or very close bond with that animal as somewhat of a blackmail or emotional a bargaining uh, chip. Bargaining uh, chip. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I'll take the car. You can have fluffy. Yeah, you know, I have seen judges think about it, like say one party is going to live in the city and the other party is going to live out in the country and there's a big dog and the idea is the dog is going to have it's going to be more you know fair to the and a lot of times it's the children you know it's the children uh the children are spending more time with dad then the dog maybe stays with dad i have a case uh where it it was interesting because the dog part of the judgment was that the dog would go with the kids so whenever the dad would pick up the kids for visitation the dogs would go with with the dad and then would go back and they each have their own bowls and their own leashes and it was all spelled out and how they were going to split up the veterinary costs. Um, and I, I love it because they can also give joint custody. So yes. sometimes if it's a couple that did not have kids and that was essentially their child, that was their, they, they got that as part of their marriage, 
the animal grew with them, and they, they can allow that now. Whereas before, I think it was much harder. Right, right. Very interesting. Um, let's talk about Happy the Elephant. This was the case out of New York where uh, an elephant was uh, is in the, has been in the zoo, Bronx Zoo, for a long time. And some people brought a lawsuit to declare personhood so they could release the animal. And it's, it's, it's a complicated case, but let's kind of just break it down as simply as possible. Happy the Elephant uh, lost the case and uh, the court determined there was no personhood. What do we make of these allegations and what do you think of the case in general? Well, generally, these, these types of cases, any case promoting animal rights is, is tough to win in the courts. It just is. But they're looking at elephants. Elephants are extremely smart, you know, especially happy, you know, a female elephant had, you know, being pulled from the wild in her natural environment, she would have been a matriarch. She would have had miles and miles of acreage, her own family. So over the years in the Bronx Zoo, her, her life was actually pretty terrible. I mean, I can't imagine how it would have been any more unhappy. But because of her own status, because of the fact that she couldn't be considered a person, I guess, under the courts, they weren't going to allow that habeas corpus move. So just habeas corpus being just a procedure to try to get someone out of illegal confinement or some kind of bad environment. Here, the the courts wouldn't extend that to a non-human. But what I thought was really interesting in the case was the fact that it was a 5-2 decision. Yeah, and, so a couple ju- yeah. justices really thought otherwise. Right, and I think if you, one of the things I wrote down I liked, too, that, that Justice uh, Rowan had put in there. He said, times change, essentially, he said this in, you know, obviously more legal terms, but he said times change and, and the law must change with them. Recognizing that this personhood status, it doesn't need to be applied as we typically applied person, which, which, which I will remind you that corporations are considered persons. So it's not such a foreign concept to, uh, if you will, property or a non-human type entity. But also, Justice Rivera said, you know, as far as Happy's confinement, that a gilded cage is still a cage. So it's really important to look at the quality of the lives, because what the law protects, you know, and basically the court, I think, in the majority was focused on, well, we already have these laws, and these laws are working, and and they'll protect the animals, but they really protect only from the most harsh, the harshest of abuses, like cruelty, torture. What we have here is just the solitary, the the sadness, the the confined space at the zoo that this animal, who is not domesticated, not like our our cats and dogs, not like hamsters, would have lived a full life elsewhere. Should she really be confined for just our mon- for for the monetary gain? And I guess my my thought would be that it's a slippery slope because if you grant first personhood to this elephant who, you know, it'd be nice to say we're going to set her free and put her into the wild or put her into a sanctuary, then what about all the other zoo animals? And then do we not have zoos? And then do we not have any, you know, so again, you know, those are all issues that the law is not necessarily great at handling. Um, Anna, this just went way too fast. Uh, can you give our listeners uh, your name and where they can reach you if they have a legal question relating to their animals? Sure. You feel free to give, give me a call at the law office. I'm at 312-376-7660 or Anna at amrlawgroup.com. And I'd be happy to answer questions. And uh, I can't thank you enough, Karen, for having me on the show.